As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. Welcome to Android's Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting out of normally the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario campus. This is not the University of Guelph, it is Guelph campus, blah, 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 blah. I am Jack, and I'm joined by Joel. How are you, Joel? I'm good, man. How have you been? All right. I'm all right. I feel like uh, sleep is evening out a little bit. Last night wasn't great, but... Uh, tell we had tell a... me, though. Uh, sitting there at home, how seethingly envious are you of all this... Uh, you know, three times a week activity you're seeing. Three times a week? I don't understand. Well, we we met up uh, four times between Tuesday and Tuesday to play board games. Oh! <laughs> it's, Joel, I'm so tired. It just doesn't matter to me. I just, I see it and I get you a little envious. You made it last Tuesday, didn't you? I made it that, yeah, I came last Tuesday and we I played... Uh, I think how long was there for like an hour and a half Brief played a game for PAX PAX yeah. Premier and then got out of there which I thought was reasonable I would have spent more time but it was also kind of a little awkward at the timing wise but yeah like I said it's as soon as everyone evens out a bit better I will I'll have zero problem making these appearances but currently it's just you know you can have one like so for two nights we had pretty good stretches and then last night was not necessarily a, a regression to the old tricks, the old ways, but it wasn't the greatest. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it kind of, it drains you. Throws everything um, off and it takes like two days to recover. Absolutely. Well, I, I was telling Kayla, I don't know what it's, I don't know why, but the, the other night we slept straight through from eight till, I don't know, five, six. And it's that should have been way more than enough time for you to wake up like bright and bushy tailed, you know? It's like mm-hmm. I can take the world. Instead, you wake up and you think like, I was I drinking all night? Like, I don't get it. What's going on here? I'm exhausted. Yeah, it's weird. So. I almost function better on like like five hours of sleep sometimes. Yeah, it's just you get so used to these screwed up sleep cycles. Is at least that's what Kale was saying. So yeah. I don't know. Just looking forward to it. But uh, no, I, I don't disagree. All right, I'm not. I'm not lying when I say that I am envious of the more meetups. But I, I think we both got a lot of content to talk about for today, so that's pretty nice. You more than me, but uh, it, it's it's always yeah, pretty it's good to see. Like you hosted a game or two, though. Uh, I think just a game, unless I'm misremembering. I'm so tired. Yeah, of well, I don't know. Here. Maybe the, you know we never play warm up games anymore. Eh? I was thinking about that. Grab well, a quick uh, coup or saboteur or something just to get. The, I think it's because I feel like everybody just wants to get, get to the main course. I guess we could, you know. I, th- I think about it, and it's that the the like for example, when you're playing with um, let's say Jason and uh, and Levi and Kaz, I think that's a good crowd for a warm up game. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, sometimes these warm up games outstay their welcome, and you kind of look and say, "Well, geez, yeah. there's an hour that's." <laughs> and when your main game is five hours <laughs> yeah it's just it, that it, much longer you gotta stick around i think that's part of the issue is when people know how long some of these games are you start to think about it, it's like uh how long is citadel supposed to last for it's uh, this is not right but anyway maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves here but uh oh, citadels i missed that game it's a good game android's dungeon show book books movies music Whatever happened to us, walking the studio. I actually have, I've been on a tear. I've been reading a lot lately. So I have two book reviews I hey, can do. Hey, nice. And, uh, books. 
I might as well just, why don't we just lead with that? So the first I mean, book, bro, this is, this is a brand relatively brand new book. So this is hot off the presses for people. Um, in case you don't know me, I am a huge Brett Easton Ellis fan. I think American Psycho is the, one of the finest novels ever written. Yeah. Uh, it is something I think about constantly. I think it's absolutely, it's not perfect, but I think it's as close to perfect. If I could have written that, I would have died fairly happy. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, but um, his other stuff, his early stuff, I'm not as fond of. The other stuff after isn't good as good as American Psycho, but it's still quite good. Glamorama is one of the most shockingly violent. Like people talk about American Psycho being violent. Glamorama is atrociously violent and has one of the most protracted, uh, explicit um, uh, sex scenes I've ever read in a novel that wasn't just pure smut. And it's uh, an interesting fact about Glamorama is that. The, stop me if you've heard this premise before. A bunch of supermodels that are actually uh, world assassins. And if that sounds familiar, uh, it's because he successfully sued Zoolander for supposedly copyright infringement on this. <laughs> no way. Yeah. That's At least that's what I read that a while ago. It could be wrong, but I'm almost certain that's that's correct because the premise is almost identical. Uh, the tone is way off. <laughs> Let's just say that. But the uh, anyway, so the Brady Snells. Uh, this is his recent book that came out called The Shards. S-H-A-R-D-S, not The Shards. And The Shards is this, uh, is a very strange book in that it's, I'd say, it's semi-autobiographical uh, in that it is this retelling of uh, being a, um, a, a teenager uh, in his, the U.S. term, senior year, but last year of high school in Southern California uh, at this kind of private sort of, I don't think it's a prep school, but it's a private school and everyone is from wealth and luxury to an extent, and uh, the kids all drive expensive cars, and they have mentioned basically are given as much leash as they want. Um, and the the novel's protagonist is called Brett, uh, Brett Ellis, and he's going around struggling with I wouldn't say struggling, but dealing with his own um, sexuality, and that he's he's a gay man or bisexual at uh, at best, and. Uh, but he is dating arguably the most attractive girl at the school. And it turns out that uh, this new character shows up named Robert, who uh, when he shows up, everything kind of changes with their social circle. And Robert may or may not be a serial killer connected hmm. to a, a strange apocalyptic to throw cult. A serial killer. <laughs> yeah. And it's, 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 I think for me, the the without going too far into it, I loved it. I thought it was great. It's very long though for a novel like this. I think it's like close to six hundred pages, but uh, it's definitely one of those things that once you start reading it, um, it's difficult to put down because it kind of sucks you into the world completely of uh, nineteen eighty one, nineteen eighty two, uh, Southern California, L A. And you can just feel the the temperature. You can taste the food. Um, you can. Uh, smell the the constant uh, cigarettes and uh, and I guess uh, in the back of your throat all the the cocaine and the benzo uh, diazepam benzos I'm screwing up the name anyway just like the constant drug abuse and alcohol but everyone seems to be doing just fine with it right so it's all manageable all the so, cocaine you could ever imagine yeah well basically it's just and the 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 the, the Hollywood producer parents and Brett's parents are just gone the entire time. They they never show up in the novel until I think the very end. I don't even know if they show up in, at the end even now I think about him. Uh, but the kid is just, he's basically left alone. And interestingly, his jacket picture is him from the same high school, uh, basically his yearbook photo uh, from 1980. 
And um, so anyway, long story short, uh, very, very good novel. Not for everyone. Uh, it's hyper-violent at times. It's hyper-sexual at times. It's very... The, the, the way to describe a lot of Brad Easton Ellis's writing, I guess, is this kind of um, contrived numbness where you can he can be describing situations and there's this vaguely sociopathic sort of response to things and that he'll be dis- describing a situation and it doesn't feel like a human is necessarily reacting to it as much as you're seeing hearing an animal react to stimulus or stimuli and uh, but overall really really good and legitimately scary in parts which i'm always always thrilled when a novel can do that to me is get me kind of whoo that was a spooky little situation there so what was your take on less than zero it's been joel that's what i was just thinking about is that i haven't read less than zero and um uh, rules of attraction in probably 15 years and i think my my take would be i don't remember them at all (laughs) that's my take on it but interestingly in this in this in the shards he's talking about writing rule uh less than zero as his like i guess he wrote in high school or first year exactly exactly because he was like the i forget the i think they called them um I don't think it was the uh, the Brat Pack. I think that was the name of the writers at the time. There was a group of them that kind of young, kind of up-and-coming modernist writers that kind of changed the rules. Again, I'm just talking out my ass here about this. I just know vaguely about the, the concept of this. But uh, long story short, I really liked it. What's that, Joel? I said that's good enough for me as far as like what you know. <laughs> so yeah, yeah I reckon, give it a shot. Give it a shot. Let me know what you think. If you, but it is again, it is long for what it is, and I think that was one of the criticisms I read online was that it feels a little unwieldy. But it's one of those things where people complain about a you know a, a movie that's too long that really indulges in sort of sucking you into the world. Like you could argue Dune is too long, or like the Nicholas Wind and Refn films are too long because they're really just they're being indulging with like just just absorb what I'm creating here. Just just live in this world for a second. So I've been, I've been reading um, the stormlight archive books. I'm on the fourth one and each one has been a 50 hours, 50 hours. Yeah. 50 hours of audiobook. Oh my God. Oh my God. How big that book is. Uh, But it's, it's another thing where it's kind of like some people are critical of the books because they're, kind of um you know they explain too much about the science and the this and that about about the world that you're you're living in but you know that's some of that's like part of the main appeal i think is the fact that they're not just oh this person's having character development this and that it's like it's actually uh mm-hmm. diving in so i i'm all for that kind of like then and you can break it up you don't have to read it all at once well, yeah, I was going to say, it's nothing stopping me from putting it down picking it up again at different points. I think the it, you run into trouble when everything is a slog and you find yourself putting it down more than you're picking it up because you just think, well, w- where are we going with this? And Yeah, it's all that's very nothing new. momentum. Yeah, good point. Like, you know, we've all been that place when you're reading a good book that you... You're, you 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 finish a section and you're like oh my god that was just like 50 pages i just read through and i didn't even notice because you were so wrapped up in or you catch it like i did this in parts when things are heating up in the novel that uh i'm i'm having to stop myself from doing the cheesy thing when i I can see the 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 not the necessarily a chapter break but the mid chapter breaks appearing where i know something significant has happened in that last paragraph i have to stop my eyes from just you know let's let's just skip those these little things oh, in between yeah, yeah. let's get to what the you know the meat and potatoes are over here so it's it's a it's a sign it's it's a sign of you know you're into it at least as far as books go 
yeah. in my opinion. You're, you're, you're uh, consuming it enough that, you know, you have to actually restrain yourself. And, you know, you're yeah, doing... yeah, binge reading. I'm, I'm kind of in that situation now because this book, these books have been really good. And um, I'm on the fourth and he hasn't released the fifth yet. Mm. Uh-oh. And so I know that what it, when I'm at the end of this, that's all I got. And there's already yeah. some of the parts where I'm like, you know, what? I'd like to go back and do that again. Because, uh, you know, really, some of the parts are pretty cool or like maybe I wasn't paying attention enough because, you know, it's an audio book. That's yeah. shocking. Joel. That's wild to me that you. Like... But I'm like, I'll get I... to the end first and then I'll go back to it. I know, but even this, the, the notion that you'd go back to a book that you've basically just finished and you're like, I want more. I want to go back and like in, like read some more of this when like even something I've read a bunch of times, it usually takes me, there's a huge cool off period before I go, okay, I could read that again. I could. Yeah, I mean, I, I really don't read anything more than once. Mm-hmm. I think about just sections of the book that I like feel like I didn't do justice and stuff like big battles and that kind of thing. Well, the the second thing I think we can talk about a little bit before we get into the usual game stuff is that I also just finished last night something that I've had sitting next to me for a long time that Joel gave me. And um, I think it's just because it's been, life's been so busy and it unfortunately kind of got swept to the side. But I just finished reading, um, I guess you can call it a graphic novel. I don't know if it was published as one or whether it was split up into sections. But Joel, do you remember The Fade Out? The fade out. Yeah, it sounds really familiar, but remind me. It's it's a comic book slash graphic novel. I'll say graphic novel because it's it's got a clear start, middle, and end. Um, set in nineteen forty eight Hollywood. Oh, I did. Yeah, and I, I gave this to you, didn't I? Yeah, and that's why I sent you that picture last night because I found your uh, note in the back of it. Oh, that's where that was. That's where it was, yeah. <laughs> I so, thought I had left it there when we played D&D. No, no, that thing's ancient. It's probably like five years old or something. Who knows? Awesome. But uh, it's it's a graphic novel. I think it's published. it was published by Image Comics and uh, written by Ed Brubaker, and I forget who illustrated it, but both of them are extremely talented, and the artist is like off the charts in terms of skill, and the colorist as well. It's funny how the artist gets the... The, it's those two on the top, and the colorist didn't even get the top billing, which is kind of unusual, but maybe that's just standard for the industry. But the premise is uh, we follow primarily a, a screenwriter in Hollywood. Uh, I guess, I don't know if this is Silver Age Hollywood or Golden Age, uh, 1948 post-war, uh, named Charlie, who is finds himself wrapped up in um, uh, circumstances outside of his control involving a murder of a Hollywood starlet. The recasting of her that with a woman that he falls in love with, more or less, he's working with. He he, he has writer's block, and he is uh, the term is fronting for uh, a blacklisted screenwriter who is his best friend, um, and he's working at a kind of a, a a lower tier movie studio that's producing flicks, and he's just trying to you know keep his head above the water and figure out this mystery that's developed. So it's noir, if in case you haven't figured it out. Um, it's very violent. There's cursing. There's a lot of nudity and sex in it. It's not too explicit or gratuitous for, you know, I guess modern standards, but it's all there. It's very adult. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was great. It was really, really good. It's, uh, I'm surprised I haven't turned into a movie, to be honest, but I was thinking the whole time I'm reading it how expensive it would be to produce. 
uh, now because yeah, I really think it's just uh, it's though the ending is super cynical. Absolutely, yeah, it's kind of like nobody Chinatown. gets theirs. Yeah. What's that? It's oh, like, like Chinatown. Chinatown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, there's no. Uh, there's I'm no trying to think. End. I mean, <laughs> no spoilers, I guess, but. No, there's no happy ending. I mean, I guess unless you consider, you know, accepting life and moving on for Charlie, that which is yeah. like he he has, I guess, the happiest of endings. And Maya, the the new movie star, has a fairly happy ending, but she kind of feels like she's being sucked into the the fake world of Hollywood. But it's it's interesting how there's this one character that you kind of start off kind of sort of hating, but he's not necessarily a villain, but he's just this antagonist of sorts. The the head of studio security, this guy named Brodsky, and oh, by yeah. the end of the book, you're you're kind of like, oh, he's not so bad. <laughs> He's, he's, he's a monster, but he's not so bad because everyone else is so much worse. So it's, <laughs> yeah. Relax, bub. Yeah. Anyway, those were the two. Yeah. Do you? And I guess uh, the. Do you want to do a quick shout out for your uh, sword and sorcery fantasy series, Joel? Yeah. Um. I go back and forth as to like how I feel about it. There's a lot of things where I'm like, this is ridiculous, but then you know I'm still reading it and enjoying it, so I can't complain. So basically, um. I'll give you a quick summary of Brandon Sanderson's work without giving any spoilers. Basically, it's science fiction, but it's also fantasy. It's science fiction because it's set in all these planets around the world, around the fictional universe called the Cosmere. Okay. Um, and it's fantasy because it's more or less magic. Is the is the sort of like interesting thing that's going on, and the reason for that is because how do i explain this in a in a way without without giving anything away i will say that basically there there are apocalyptic events that set the progression of the of mankind backwards okay so it's kind of wheel of time esque almost yes so it's kind of like well all technology has been lost all you know like knowledge and then sort of they kind of scrape their way back and hopefully because it's kind of a cyclical thing hopefully yeah. they get as far as they can before the next thing happens again uh so what you're following is like uh a, a noble house and a couple sort of like uh, people that start out kind of humble and, and work their way up uh into sort of uh king a kingdom-based society where they're fighting these uh, sort of mysterious tribesmen kind of thing called Parshendi. And then mm-hmm. sort of like more and more gets revealed about the nature of the Parshendi and everything. And then they, they end up getting magic powers, which, <laughs> but it's, it's not magic. They bond with spirits of the cognitive realm. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna so get like aliens or something? Yeah. No, they're actually created by thought. You know, it's kind of like, well, you know, all of our thoughts exist except our thoughts actually do exist as spirits in another dimension okay so but like where do you because i know i brought up wheel of time but like where do you let's let's pick something a little more although i guess wheel of time is super popular too but like where would you put it next to something lord of the rings so the writing is not on the sort of he's not going to be a like a a, he's not going to be remembered as this legendary writer uh, but but as far as story crafting goes, it's 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 really impressive, sort of like the world that he's he's uh, generated. Mm-hmm. So I will say that I would put him uh, de- definitely below Jordan and Tolkien and uh, you know um, uh, C.S. Lewis. But 
certainly above like most of the others that I've read. So I'd say he's probably, oh. you know, top ten easily. Oh, wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think he'd be happy with that if he heard it. He's actually a professor of uh, uh, creative writing or something along those lines. Screen screenwriting, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know where he gets time because he's insanely prolific. The Stormlight Archive is actually like his third book series. Oh my god! He's, uh, he's currently writing book five of ten of it. And uh, Mistborn was his original, and I think that's his most well known right now. But I haven't touched it, and I've heard that it's not as good. So I'd have to be really desperate to pick that up. It takes like I'm not saying that all writing doesn't require it but there's something about certain speculative fiction or or fantasy fiction that requires a certain personality that a very uh exceptional person who can sit down mm-hmm. and it's not ma- just a matter of abstract thinking but it's about the type of person that could sit there and focus and write stuff consistently and and unless you're totally out of your mind like Martin is, who is, I guess, infamous for just throwing away 99% of everything he writes because he doesn't like it. Um, but there, there, how do you, like, let's look at Robert Jordan, who died before he even finished the series. Am I wrong about that? Or yep. His son picked it up. His son picked it up. But you have these guys who they just, they, they, how, when you look at the, the amount of pages in these books and the time it takes to write them, unless you're kind of like a, a one and done type guy where you're so good with your initial ones, just a couple of minor edits maybe, and you throw it that'll out. Do. That'll do. Which yeah. is, you know, if you're good enough, you can get away with it. But there, it just blows my mind how somebody can sit down and, and create this stuff. And I think it's yeah. all about this passion, this, this, you know, we've, we all have these personal things that sit in the back of our heads when we're, when we're daydreaming. And, it's when you can transcribe those ideas onto page or onto the screen or into music or into a board game, et cetera. It, it's the, I guess that's just the creative spark. And, it, you know, some of us may have the creative spark, but not the drive or the capability to put it onto into the medium. Or it could be the other way where you're very good at, you know, you could be the greatest painter of all time. But if you don't, if you're not creative, you end up with something that's uninspired or, just yeah, totally just worthless. Very methodical or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it is special when somebody, you know, <laughs> manages to find something or is able to do this stuff. So. Yeah. He's prolific, so it, but also sort of it's not all junk. So that, that, that's really the impressive thing. Not all junk. That's Joel's <laughs> subtitle. Well, you can make a lot of garbage pretty quickly, I'm sure. But this is absolutely worth, worth reading. So. Worth reading. There we go. That's better. Worth reading. <laughs> Worth reading. Yeah. Sorry. Bit we got it. Bit more of an endorsement there. All right. Well, then why don't we stop there? We interesting little uh, digression in the books, which is unusual for us. And uh, we'll be back to talk about some board games in a second. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to Android's Dungeon on CFRU.ca. Check us out on all your favorite podcasting websites. We put up an episode just recently, which was a nice change of pace since I had forgotten to do it for so long. And uh, I will try to remember now since it's now part of, uh, I think, my little... Yeah, it's all part of my my algorithm, my mental algorithm, my tab algorithm uh, in front of my screen. So unless I totally forget, it should be there. Uh, Yeah, I'm sure everyone was super excited when they saw our first episode drop in two years there. Yeah, well, it's like, and people say, well, geez, you haven't done anything in two years. No, no, it's been going. It just hasn't been uploaded, all right? So cut me some slack. Yeah, go listen to the radio, dummy. Go turn on the radio or go hit the actual website, God forbid. Uh, before we left, we we're talking about books, the shards, the fade out, the moon, moonlight, moon star. What's it? Sorry, stormlight archives. Stormlight archives, which sounds like a location in Dark Souls or Elden Ring. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah, it's a cool title. Uh, so let's get into it. We we got some board games in uh, this this past little stretch here, and um, I think. Uh, let's do it chronologically. So, Joel, did you get any games in on Saturday? Um, yeah, let's try to figure out. So Tuesday we, Tuesday we played. Oh my gosh, Saturday was crazy. Saturday I went, I got up in the morning and I was like, I'm just going to relax and then go meet John, play a disc golf at two. And then that'll be my day. And mm-hmm. then I thought, you know what? Nothing's going on. And just because it's negative 30 degrees outside doesn't mean I have to stay Very home. cold. I'm going to go play in the Arboretum League. So I oh went my God. For, you know, two hours in the morning. I got home, had a had a long shower to try to warm up. Because, you know, when your core is cold, it's just the worst. It doesn't feel good. Uh, and then I got back in the car and I drove to Toronto and I played with John. We did try to arrange kind of last minute playing board games instead of disc golf, but nobody wanted to come <laughs> to Toronto with me. Fair enough. Um, and then, um, so when I got back from that, I immediately went to Jason's, played our first full game of John Company. Oh, that's right, Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we enjoyed it so much that we played again the next day. So we've got two John Company playthroughs here. Uh, is this the third one, though? In the Or was this the first of the batch? Well, the first I, one we played one round. So Yes, there it is. There it is. Okay, so let's, let's go through it here. So let's talk about the first one. How many people played? Uh, three. It was three for both games. Okay. Uh, set up until, and rules explanation until actually playing the game properly. How long do you think? Half an hour. That's pretty good. How long did the game go for? Uh, I think uh, first game started at 7, ended at around 11, I think. So maybe four hours first game, and then definitely five hours for the second. Okay. So talk about the two games. Tell me what you thought of them. First game we had Dylan and Jason. Dylan's a very friendly guy. He's, uh, you know, doesn't like to hurt anybody. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So amiable. Really wanted to sort of uh, make sure we were just learning the game and just having fun. And yeah. so 
when it came to sort of like, well, I'm the chairman, I'm going to, you know, assign jobs, he'd say, well, you get a job, you get a job, you get a job, <laughs> you get a job, you know, in a fair way, right? Yeah. Um, but he did do something very, um, I say maniacal, but really it's just kind of taking advantage of the system in a really smart way. So what he did was um, he always made sure he would seek a share on his family action, which allows you to put yourself into sort of the the people receiving dividends if, if stocks are paid out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would drop him into the pool of people that were available to become chairman. And then he started as a chairman, and because he was always the most people in that pool, when it came to elect a new chairman whenever he retired, he, he had the biggest say, so he would just elect himself. Yeah. So he managed sense. to get a cycle going. No one was willing to kind of battle him on it, which is fine, I think. Um, so he ended up uh, chairman for the entire game, which was great, except for the fact that he would always select the maximum amount of loans possible. Um, Gee, where is this going? <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, distri- he's just, 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 you have to distribute all the funds. So he distributed the funds as best he, as he felt you know he was he wasn't like trying to pay himself he was distributing the funds in a fair way but then it when it came to the end and whatever money we had made uh which can be used you know for the next round it was maximum payouts every time and of course he's going to do that because he's got the most people in the in the stock pool right so there's a there's a bit of a crossover coming up here (laughs) yeah so basically he would maximize debt and then loot the coffers a hundred percent, regardless of uh, of our position as a company. Uh, there is, sorry, go on. Is there a penalty to if you're in charge of the company when it goes under? No, no, uh, no, no. Single individual is more responsible. Although, as a shareholder, each shareholder is worth a victory point at the end of the game, and each shareholder is worth a negative victory point if your company fails okay there it is then so if you're if you're basically doing what he's doing can yeah. you sell shares uh no no you're okay, just so, in there until you yeah. become the chairman and then retire so i guess that you're trying to out, so if you're going did, was he doing this on purpose was he purposely just like running this company hard and fast into the ground or was it just a byproduct i think he was trying to make as much money as possible and it was working i think he was he was winning but um, it kind of basically what he was doing was he was running the game on a nice edge. And what it required was everything in India to become successful each round in order for him to win. So in the fourth round, something went horribly wrong, which is we rolled like four or five dice to com- conduct like a, a it, w- it was going to give us like $20 for the company. Right. And that's every round we did that and it kept us afloat. There was a certain region, Madras. Where I was the mm-hmm. president, and we were trading like like gangbusters. We were making tons of money, and um, and just one time we just didn't get any. We just didn't get any successful rolls. I think you needed one or two with a ton of dice. So it, basically, that meant that we had no income that round. We couldn't pay dividends. Our our loans were maxed out, so we could we didn't have any money to um to run the the company and so in the fifth round 
it was the most it was the saddest round of drawing company you've ever seen because uh basically it came came time for the chairman to get money no loans were available to get out so then you go to okay well no all of the presidents have spent their money uh the shipping has spent their money uh, warfare has spent their money uh we have literally nothing in the coffer so we get to do nothing we just all skip our actions and then we go on oh, to the man. end and and basically it was, fifth round was the last round so had we managed to make just a little bit of money like if we had managed to make six dollars or six pounds we would have uh survived the company but because we had to take out three emergency loans instead of two we dropped by two in the company standing and then of course if your expectation which is like do you have more money than whatever the expectation number is you get to stay otherwise you go left again so we went left three spaces in expectations and <laughs> and we had we had gone back three the round before as well so we kind of knew what was coming yeah, uh, yeah and then what ended up happening there was you know dylan dropped a bunch of victory points because i think five victory points because he had five shareholders yeah um and uh, I had bought a workshop, so I went up in victory points because workshops go up if your company fails. And I ended up winning that one. It seemed like uh, everyone should have just been buying up a mixture of shares to make money and then workshops to just hedge their bet because it looked hedge like the company bets. was going down the yeah. toilet real fast. But workshops it could have gone either way, right? Workshops are quite expensive, though, um, because... Uh, they're five and they only get you a dollar around so it's five rounds to to pay for themselves and it's only it's only one victory point so you got to really want one or really believe that the company would fail but the funny thing is is if the company had succeeded and survived because as you know you kind of get your income from your jobs you get yeah. income from being a president getting some trade or being the commander and looting an area yeah yeah or uh you know being <laughs> being the minister of shipping and and uh, uh, <laughs> manipulating the uh, shipping situation as I did in the second game. Um, but if you're not doing any of these actions, you're not getting any income, and you got to keep in mind the window tax. Do you remember that? No, I forgot that. Basically, anybody that you've retired into these nice retirement homes, which is the, the main source of victory points, have an upkeep. So the first retirement home is upkeep of one dollar, one pound per round, and up and up from that. So the fact that we had no money and we were making no money, if the company had succeeded, they still would have just had to kick all of their people out of their retirement homes and put them in the poorhouse because they didn't have any money to support them. Oh, <laughs> and you lose the VPs anyway. Wow. So I mean, there's definitely a fine line to be drawn between working hard to make sure the company stays afloat and trying to loot it as much as you can. And it does, they do have a pretty good system in place to punish you. Should you be a little too reckless? That's, that's always been the thing that, and I, that's where, so if you, it's interesting because if you look at, go through um, Cole's, um, his notes, huh? When you, I think he's a, um, a fan of 1830 or, He's played some 18xx, and you can definitely see that influence in yeah. the kind of the the core foundational principle of of John Company, and that you've got this central structure, this corporation that's paying out 
And uh, but what it does is it takes the the idea and rather than have six different corporations that you're the unquestioning president of and who cares about the shareholders as much, it turns it into this weird balancing game of it it keeps the the fundamental push pull of am I running this company well or how much like it's it exists for me to extract wealth out of and there's a there's a bag to be held at the end that's it so. Do you do you make sure that bag is never passed on and the company is healthy and it may not you may not be getting as much out of it because you're keeping it safe or are you looking at it like a, a motorcycle that you're setting on fire and you're jumping off a cliff on and hopefully your parachute and yeah, the guys behind you, you don't cool notice it, right? yeah, yeah you look cool and you, you're the the money acts as a ballast as you just fly off into the distance <laughs> and everyone else is just watching everything burn in front of them it's and that's just the company side of stuff because you, you touched on the whole uh, india aspect where you have this so not only do you have this company that you're going through you have this giant map of india that you're and with with governors and things being built and ships and things being opened and closed and rebellions and it's just like oh my god this game this game <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the yeah. the the so this one it finished with a company bankruptcy the second time how did it go um so the second time we were so proud of ourselves because out the gate you know like we were trading we had conquered three regions i think so india was like a third under the company control um we had an actual like balance sheet like we ha- we actually ended each round with a decent ama- decent chunk of cash our um our chairman i will say cuz it changed hands quite a bit um didn't pay out a lot of dividends they were very conservative they only paid dividends when we when we deserved them <laughs> say yeah. um and so everything was going swimmingly and then we rolled that, you know, event die, and the event die says there's a storm in this region, and then you draw this many cards, right? Yeah. So if there's a storm in all three regions, you'll only draw one event card. It's easy peasy. We for three rounds in a row rolled the no storm, but you have to draw four event cards. And so India, which was like ripe for the picking all of a sudden became almost completely closed. All of our regions that we had governorships on got battered by that elephant. And uh, we ended up basically in a very tight situation where we could barely make ends meet. And we had like one region of India where we could trade that was very lucrative and Mm. everything else was closed. The whole rest of India was closed. And and that's just the way it was. We just didn't have the time or the resources to to force things to open up. We even reconquered a region which was immediately uh, Mm. rebelled again the next round. Like Bombay, we got it back and it was was gone. So we were just, we were struggling, but we were okay. We get to the fifth round and this is the situation. So, I mean, I, again, I said the f- round, the game was five hours, and the reason the game was five hours was because unlike Dylan, who was like this magnanimous, uh, you know, lord of lord and uh, master of our of our positions, and he was just doling them out like a a kind old grandfather. Instead, we had to 
fight and argue over every single job that was, <laughs> <laughs> was given. I love, and nobody, it. I love it. Nobody would ever give out a job if they weren't getting their fingers greased in some their palms yeah, yeah, greased yeah. in some ways. And as it should be, you know, you have That's problems the way it's supposed for a reason. You yeah. can still get you can give away money. I, I even gave away all of my ships one time just to be the master of shipping. Well, <laughs> um, makes sense. Yeah, exactly. But I had, you know, I had a plan for it. So anyway, what ended up happening in the last round was we had a decent chunk of money. We had, I think, 20 pounds to play with. And I had taken out, you know, loans to the max, got us to to that eight loan spot, spot where you can't go any further. So obviously we have to pay that eight pounds back. Every time you, every loan you have, you have to pay one pound. So I know I have to pay eight pounds. And then I'm, and then, like I said, I bribed my way into allowing nepotism. So I had to pay everybody off to allow me to assign myself as the chairman into mm-hmm. uh, master shipping. So I had, I had to give everybody a ship, and they were satisfied with that. This was a four player, by the way. So that's maybe another reason why it was longer. Um, and the reason I did that was it was the last round and I was thinking, okay, well, I can bleed this company almost dry and leave it just uh, solvent enough to, ma- to make it through this last round and then we'll be good. Uh, so what I did was I, 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 you know, I gave out money to each of the presidencies so they could do their actions. And obviously the one presidency that was super critical, I gave them an extra amount of money to make sure that we would survive the round. Mm-hmm. And then I took all of the rest of that money and I gave it to the master shipping, which is myself. <laughs> and I built, I think, like half a dozen extra ships that we didn't need. Just because I had this kickback card that was basically for every extra ship you build or a company ship you build, you get a dollar. So basically, yeah, I, of course. I, I built a whole bunch of unnecessary ships, like a bridge to nowhere, um, yeah. <laughs> and made myself a bunch of money. Why not, right? So obviously I got the blame. No, I'm just kidding. What ended up happening was we got to the to the last president, the one that needed to trade, and they and it was Levi, and he said, you know what? I want this company to fail. And he just refused to do any of the <laughs> actions. So he refused to trade. He didn't give the money, any money to the commander to do any military actions. He just said, yeah. you know what? The company is just not making any money this round. And uh and it didn't, and we again it was like I forgot to say this, but in the first game, if we had one more pound, we would have survived. Yeah, it was the same in this one. I think it was like two or three pounds uh, into like the last emergency loan to lose the game. Yeah, but it ended up just absolutely crippling by, and so he got what he deserved uh, because you also did draw he, did he know that- when the company fails, something terrible happens. Yeah, it just massacred. He had purchased three workshops. So we probably should have predicted that he was going to betray us, but did did he know what was going to happen though, or was this because my one of the issues of John Company too is that there's still a fair amount of randomization to it, and I think it's it's that it's enough that's going to there's not going to be let's say tournament John Company because of it, but I think that it's it's there to make the game more narratively interesting, and that you just I, I think like a lot of those types of games that. You're, you can't sit there and try to play competitively. You, you're just trying to sit there and play, arguably play the best you can, of course, but you're, you're, it should be about trying to 
maybe this is getting a little lofty, but it, the randomness kind of forces you just to have fun with what's going on there because mm-hmm. you could do everything right and still lose the game pandemic style. Uh, and somebody can do everything wrong and <laughs> win the game. And you just look at them and go, okay, fine, whatever. It's like, fine. Yeah. It, it was, you, you break it down, you say, it was pretty absurd. Like, kind of like what you're describing, though. It's like where, oh, a new president shows up who's got a vested interest in seeing the company fail, decides to withhold paying dividends, and doesn't, and all of a sudden the company goes, you know, uh, belly up on you. And you go, oh, <laughs> well, it's, that was pretty funny, actually. But yeah, um, makes for a good but, story for sure. Well, that's it. it. It's it's story building because it's also a little more. It's a little easier to parse too. Versus, you could argue that in Pax Premier, let's say, when you think about how you could build stories, where if you knew the cards better, you could say, "Well, I was doing this, and all of a sudden, uh, Raji the Third shows up, and I get him in my court, and because he's really good in in Persia, it turns things around, and all of a sudden, Raji the Third is fighting William Blake over in 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 uh, <laughs> yeah. Transcaspia. That's wild, man! Oh, I can't believe that's so wacky." It's like no, it's <laughs> nobody's looking at that, it's, and like it, you'd have to be telling it to someone who knew just as much. Exactly, like... right? But when you describe, as long as you don't go too insular, uh, when you describe John Company and you can kind of go, oh, well, it was pretty funny because, uh, you know, I, I weaseled my way into a position where I had negative incentive to keep building ships that we didn't need because I was getting kickbacks. And people go, oh, that's funny. What a crazy game you're talking about. Yeah. Kooky. Like, oh, that's a, how kooky is that? So, um, all right, cool. Anyway, so, it, it, that, yeah. John Company remains like one of the most unique games I've ever played. Obviously, we have played games with like finance systems and with stocks. But yeah. this kind of marries like so many of those elements and also has this weird area control in India yeah. slash, you know, uh, you have to, it's almost like an engine builder because you have to set up all these ships and then you get one trade per ship and et cetera, et cetera. It's nuts. The game is absolutely like it's it's one of those things I think you said it earlier today where it's like Cole really needs to learn when to say, Okay, that's enough. <laughs> not not that we <laughs> don't more. love how complicated his games are, but it's always yeah. like there there's so much more than needed to be here. This is like oh, almost was... like it's like four games rolled into one, you know? Yeah, that's my issue. And so I don't want to dwell on this too much, but I was thinking about this when you were talking, and it's like you could almost have abstracted or simplified all the India stuff into mm-hmm. a much simpler little system. The first, and then... edition, first edition had that, more or less. Did it? it? Like, okay. And then you go to India, and it's not even on the map, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It, it's... We, we've talked about this to death on the show, but there's... And I was talking about this with Joel, where there's Cole's games are so front-loaded... And at this point, I'm so sick of overly front-loaded games, um, not just for myself in terms of learning, but for teaching to other people. Because if it's a great game, and let's say you, you sit there and you're like, oh, Root's the greatest game of all time. Oh, it's the greatest game of all time. John Company's greatest game of all time. I love it. I love Paxmere. I put Paxmere in my top 10. But it is such a nightmare, an absolute <laughs> front-loaded nightmare to teach yeah. that it is not, it's, you better hope that you've got somebody who you've, you've, captured and chained up in your your dungeon downstairs to <laughs> inflict this on because how did you yeah it, it puts the pax premiere on the table or it gets the hose it's, <laughs> because it's just not it's not feasible to play these games repeatedly with people or introduce them because it comes down to a cost benefit analysis of what can i hope to get away with and this is even i've thought about this a lot this is even with hardcore board gamers 
it's still an ask because even though you could say it, it's I, I feel like i'm lapsing into an american psycho monologue here but it's like <laughs> you you can you can feel the you can feel the game and tell that it's a game but underneath is a totally different system and it simply is not there and that's a problem with John Company and these other coal games is that even the coal games separately, none of them even have any crossover value because you can learn one of these games and it means nothing to the it next one. It means absolutely nothing, yeah. It means absolutely nothing. All so that you let's know say, is that the rule book is bad. <laughs> all you know is the rule book is bad and it's supposedly it's supposed to help you play the game, but it's, it's vaguely useless and you're just kind of watching a video and fumbling through it. Um, but I guess all I'm saying is that again to to beat a dead horse is that john company is um i've only played the one time i've got the new edition it used to be sitting behind me i haven't had time to play it i wanted to play with you guys didn't have a chance but the issue is that you guys have already passed the major hurdle which is you've played it twice you already understand it. you've got a group you've got you're achieving terminal teaching velocity which is the ideal um but god help you if it's just you joel and you're trying to introduce this to somebody else like another three no people because yeah. you will it will be I would I would advise against it, <laughs> and I and I'm the king of shoving heavy games in front of people and regretting it later. It's a little, I, I feel like it'll be like four cottage cons from now. Like like they they did ask me to teach them Dune, they asked me to food, teach them Food Chain Magnet, and they asked me to teach them 1830. So at some point, yeah. you know, in 2026, when we're getting together for cottage con, they're gonna say, "Hey Joel, you don't call it John Company, right?" And I'll be like. <laughs> Finally, no. my time has come. No, I don't know what you're talking about. Who are who are you? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's uh, yeah. We'll see. Anyway, that's uh, that's all we got for today. Thank you for listening. CFRU ninety three FM, Androids Dungeon. Uh, you can check us out online at CFRU.ca on the archives page, or live, or at ninety three three on your dial if you were within the broadcasting range which depends on how good your car is or how good your radio is you can touch the dial to turn up the volume and (laughs) uh i'm gonna shill my i'm doing another music show i'm doing a music show on tuesdays at 11 o'clock the uh the cyber the cyber liches gothic dungeon if you want to hear a bunch of electronic music that will get you yeah it's more dungeon stuff or cyber liches gothic castle excuse me uh, no. And uh, I know, but the the Androids Dungeon is part of the Cyber Lich's Gothic Castle. So <laughs> if you <laughs> if you want to hear some music that'll get you beat up or uh, arrested for speeding, either way, it'll be uh, it's there for you. Uh, but yeah, shoot us an email ad radio cfr or, uh, sorry droid dungeon radio at gmail dot com uh, ad radio at cfru dot ca or shoot us uh, go to Twitter or the Golf Board Gaming Facebook group. Uh, until next time, I'm Jack. Don't tweet, Joel. I'm sure. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. And rip. Cool. Good show. Good show, Joel.